1 Corinthians 1. Last week, we began our study on the negative response to the preaching of the gospel. And we were speaking about the gospel because that is the topic we find in 1 Corinthians 1, specifically stated in verse 17, that Paul did not come to uh, baptize, but to preach the gospel. And the responses to the gospel are a true dichotomy. They either respond in a way that brings salvation or in destruction. That's what we saw in verse 18. It talks about those who are perishing or those who are being saved. And last week, we could summarize it by saying that the message of the gospel is preaching the cross. It's preaching Christ crucified. And that historical event is essential to the preaching of the gospel. And those who don't accept the cross believe that it is folly. That's what we saw in verse 18 last week. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So those who consider the cross of Christ to be folly perish. And that summarizes the common response to the gospel. Now, tonight... I want us to study how Paul further describes those who are perishing, who think that the cross is folly. And we find that response in verse 23. So look further down where it says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. So what was stated in 118 in general is further explained to us in verse 23. In 118, we see there's an overall response or effect when the gospel is preached. And when that is the response, that the, God, that the cross is folly, then there's a result, perishing. But in verse 23, it's a more specific response, two responses to more specific audiences. And we need to search that out because we're going to turn to the, the positive part of uh, 118 later on, and it corresponds to this. So two points tonight in relation to 1 Corinthians 1.23. The first point is that the cross is a stumbling block to Jews. A stumbling block is something that offends, and we live in a culture where we know about offense because people are offended all the time. They have certain opinions about things, and they're offended if other people don't hold their opinion. Well, the Jews found the cross of Christ to be offensive. The reason for that is they expected a conquering Messiah, not a crucified Messiah, because a crucified Messiah is a cursed Messiah. And we need to make sure to take special note of of what they understood that to mean. Sometimes when we think of the term to curse, we think of a witch who casts a spell. But this is a curse of being rejected by God. It goes all the way back to the law in Deuteronomy 21:23. It says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. The one who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. So the question we need to make sure to consider before we go on is this. Was Jesus actually cursed by God? He hung on the cross. Was he actually cursed by God? 
Galatians 3 makes it plain for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus indeed was cursed. He was rejected by God. And the Jews didn't expect the Messiah to be someone who is the suffering servant of Isaiah. They thought that the Messiah would be powerful. And they esteemed power. They demanded science. And we have to think about why did they demand science? It had to have been because they were God's people and God had worked on their behalf many times in their history by way of miracles. We go over these things in Sunday school and with our kids and family devotions all the time. The Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. They miraculously crossed the Red Sea. They miraculously ate manna from heaven for 40 years in the wilderness. They were led by the the cloud by day and the fire by night. They crossed the Jordan River. They conquered the land of Canaan. All those miracles that they saw and witnessed. And then when Jesus came, they demanded miraculous sign for him. That's even what Herod hoped that he would see Jesus do a miracle. And Jesus refused to do any signs for them. Of course, he did many signs. But what Jesus did say he would do, and what he staked his identity as the Messiah on, was the sign of Jonah, to be three days and three nights in Sheol. So Jesus refuses to do miracles for them. So when they call him to come down from the cross, which would be a miracle to do so, he refused to do it. And there was a reason that he refused. If he gives in to their demands, that would be to accommodate their appetites. It would make them the sovereign. They would be assessing him, evaluating him, judging him, testing him when he's the creator and judge of all. Often in studying through this, I can't help but think of a lot of the modern TV shows that we have right now, things like American Idol, America's Got Talent, the kind of thing where people perform and other people evaluate. It's the idea that one sits in judgment on the other, and that's how the Jews were in demanding signs of Jesus. And if he acquiesces to their demands, he becomes the genie. And that's so often the case what people, uh, what is actually happening when you hear people talk about God today. They profess something like this. Well, I'll believe in God if he does something for my benefit. If he answers this prayer request, then I'll believe him. Or they confess the opposite. He didn't answer my prayer request, so I don't believe him. They are sitting in judgment on God. And the Jews wanted to be able to set the bar, and God needed to jump over that. And when Jesus comes and he's crucified, and in their minds rejected by God, that's not going to meet their demands that they're expecting. So to the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block because they see it and they think, this one's cursed. They're definitely not going to accept him because he's been cursed by God. But there's another response that's not Jewish, it's Gentile, because as verse 23 says, it is folly, the preaching Christ crucified is folly to the Gentiles. And Gentiles is a bit broader of a term than Greeks. It encompasses all people who are non-Jews, not the people of God, by way of what we learn in the Old Testament and such. 
they consider the cross to be foolishness. It's something that's supposed to be dismissed, and it can be dismissed uh, on a certain continuum. In the very least, it's foolish in that it's silly. It doesn't make sense. It's nonsense. It's unsatisfying to the intellect. Or at worst, it's moronic. It does make sense, and insultingly so. It's an insult to the intelligence. It's even dangerous. Now, I think we should just consider for a moment our unsafe peers and what they think about Christianity. It is probably a true thought that they consider Christianity to be evil, either drivel or dangerous. They dismiss Christianity as some insignificant crutch that we choose to lean on, or they denigrate Christianity because it's terrible and dangerous, and all that Christianity is is a bunch of Bible thumpers. But why do they think that? Why do they think that's all that it is? Well, the cross doesn't fit into their worldview. We know it says in verse 22 this, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom. And when we think of the term wisdom that the Greeks seek, we may think that they seek wisdom, which is practical skill in living, which can only be done under the fear of the Lord, which we learned in Proverbs. But that's not the wisdom that Paul's talking about. He's not talking about the Greeks seek practical skill in living. We may think about the wisdom of the West, which is this idea of intuition and insight where people have street smarts, that kind of wisdom. But Paul's not talking about that either. The wisdom of the Greeks of the Gentiles, it's, it's the wisdom that makes sense of life. It's worldviews. It's philosophies of life. It's, it's the Greeks who had things like Epicureanism and Stoicism, Sophitism, Platonism. They were ways to discover more things that helped us understand life better. So Paul talks about this in Acts 17, where he talks about the Athenians, the foreigners who lived, would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They're all about discovery and, and how to make, how to make uh, sense of life. And we have, the, we have worldviews today where people try to make sense of life, and people think that life ought to fit into a certain worldview. Maybe it's communism. Maybe it's pluralism. Maybe it's secular humanism. Maybe it's democracy. These are all worldviews, but none of them lead to the cross. Just think about that for a moment. Think about some of the essence of, we'll say, democracy. The will of the people, that people have the freedom to vote. Well, that doesn't go towards the cross. It's not like if someone comes up with a, with a commercial and says, I'm a crucified Christ, people are going to say, that's a great candidate. No, that, that's not something that makes sense in their worldview. That's not going to gain people's vote because it's weak. It doesn't fit what they want. So... That said, let's just imagine for a moment. Let's imagine that the wisdom of men could actually lead to God. Let's imagine that man could actually figure things out that it would eventually lead him to God and know how to relate to God and know how to have a relationship with God, a meaningful relationship with God. Would that be okay if somewhere someone figured it out? Well, no. 
Why? Because if a man finds his way to God, he would have reason to boast. Look at verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God is very jealous about glory. And he doesn't want people to glory. He wants all the glory to go to him. So he makes it so that man by wisdom cannot know God. That's according to his design. So the world looks at the cross and they find it to be folly. And they look at the cross and they say, how can we have faith in someone who died as a criminal? And you're expecting me to believe it when I haven't seen it. That's not logical. That's not rational. That's blind faith. And the world dismisses it because it doesn't make sense. So there are differing responses to the gospel that lead to perishing. It can be like the Jews who demand things of God. Or it can be along the lines of the Gentiles who have a certain worldview and don't see how the cross fits into that. Either way, they reject God because they can't have him being at the center when they are self-centered. That's it, the truth in essence. So the cross of Christ doesn't meet their expectations of the things they value. So what happens then is the world, when it walks by its wisdom, stumble over the cross and it leads to their own destruction. That's one way people respond to the preaching of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel must include the cross of Christ. And from there, we're going to flip from the negative response to the gospel to the positive. And I want us to make a, cor a, a correlation because there really is a correlation between the response of the Gentiles and the Jews to the way that we understand the gospel. And just to, to talk about it ahead of time, as we'll find it says that the gospel to us is both the wisdom and power of God. And it corresponds to what we just talked about. Father, we ask that you'll help us as we consider your word, we ask that you'll give us insight and that you'll help us to anticipate some of the ways that people respond to what we say. And even though we find that these are some of the responses, may we still be faithful to proclaim the gospel, including in particular the cross of Christ. And uh, what it does is it uniquely calls people to humble themselves uh, before you and to set aside their own expectations and their own wisdom and to bow before you instead of sinning in judgment upon you. We do pray that you'll work in people's hearts to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.